Welcome to the Listening Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Tay. And I'm your co-host, Nick Bell. Now we get down and dirty with world-leading business minds. And to top it off, nothing is off limits. Just please make sure you keep your clothes on. Hi, Chris. We're so excited to have a chat to you today. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Nick. <laughs> Great to be with you again. It's been a long time, I guess. A couple year and a half, maybe. I know. Okay, so just to give you guys a bit of background, I actually have Nick to thank for us meeting Chris because he was going to go to your seminar with the growth faculty in Melbourne. But then for some unknown reason, he had to go overseas. I think he was partying or something, maybe coaching. Oh, so sure. I remember I actually remember this story now that you say you're the guy, you're the guy, Nick. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You're the guy. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. So I was, uh, and I'll be honest with you, Chris, I actually don't like going to things like that because I get really bored. I'm, I'm not a very, I think I've got ADD or something. I just don't have a long attention span. So I just thought, it's, oh, when, when. the opening of an envelope. Okay. <laughs> it, it is, it is, fun thing. There's a slight possibility she has ADD. It's, it's, <laughs> it's rumored at this point. <laughs> outside chance just a rumor just a rumor uh but i i normally lose concentration really easily and nick goes look he's meant to be amazing you should go and i just thought oh okay i'll go along and you were amazing like you were so so engaging you're really funny and i actually almost feel like it's fate because it's like you know the universe has brought us full circle and then now nick actually gets the chance to to hear directly from you so yeah private session (laughs) i i that's really funny that you say that because like being able to perform for short attention span theater like that's my thing like oh great because i'm the same way like super short I was a Ritalin kid, right? Ah. And so I always look at everything through this lens of, no, I'd be lost right now. Like, you know, what what does it take to keep my attention? So that's really cool, Lisa, to hear you say that. Yeah, and then we we chatted. So I ambushed you, I think, during the session, and then I ambushed you after, and then we spoke for a, a long time. And you probably just wanted to go to bed, but I was like, let's just keep talking. We so. shot six videos, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> I had presented for eight hours, and she made me shoot another six. Uh, I thought she would have gone at least ten or fifteen videos. Lisa loves it. <laughs> well, I just thought, oh, it would just be a really great idea to to share what I was learning at the at the actual session, but from you directly because obviously uh you know you've got to hear it directly from the source so we're both really excited for you to run through your epic iconic book the four disciplines of execution with us today because let's face it and I love one of your favorite quotes there's more good ideas than capacity to execute because really I think a lot of our audience would would struggle with that I know that Nick actually one of Nick's business partners just told him to read this book your book and that's why we we thought oh we'll, we'll definitely get Chris on He's a, a massive oh. fanboy. Massive. <laughs> You'll need to get like an autograph. They usually copy. are until they meet me. <laughs> and, then kill, and then I kill it. Uh, no, he was there actually. He was there. Oh, that he day. was. All right, right on. That's cool. I didn't, yeah, I didn't so, totally kill it. So, yeah. So I guess just to begin, I just wanted to quickly talk about a story because I was listening to one of your podcast interviews and they were talking about your fake internship at Franklin Covey. So I guess you can't get fired for that now because you're well and truly entrenched in the business. But can you tell us a little bit about how you they got found started? out pretty early on? Oh. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I, this story has been dead for a long time, but it's kind of come back now. I've got adult kids and I've got a couple of son-in-laws and, and they're all in that sort of getting into their career moment. Right. So this topic has sort of come back up. But, you know, I was at that great point in time 
where I, my wife and I, we didn't have to make a lot of money. And I, and I loved Stephen Covey and I really wanted to work for him and he wasn't hiring. And so I just got fixated on this idea. I like, I have to work for Stephen Covey and they wouldn't interview me. So I, um, I actually, it started by me pretending I worked for the newspaper. So I thought if they won't interview me, I'll interview them. So I, I, I showed up and I said, hey, I, I, I write for the Daily Herald. And my intention was to send it to the Daily Herald. I mean, I can still write for the Daily Herald even if the Daily Herald doesn't know who I am. I figured. <laughs> so I said, uh, you know, can I interview Stephen Covey? And they're like, yeah, that's not gonna happen. But I got to interview their VP of marketing. So I'm in there and I got my, and I'm like, okay, I gotta do something, right? And I, I pretend to be a reporter. And I'm like, come on, man, you gotta come up with something. And then right as the interview's ending, I thought, I thought oh, hey, uh, Greg, this has been great. By the way, I'm still finishing up some classes. I could, I, I need an internship. Any chance? And he grabbed, it, jumped at it. I didn't need an internship. I just it was the only thing I could think of. And um, and then they fired, they fired Stephen Covey's publishers the next week. The week after that, uh, Seven Habits hits number one on the New York Times bestseller list. And I'm doing all the calls to New York. I'm putting him on Good Morning America. I am a, I'm a fake reporter, unpaid intern. <laughs> From New York, they think, oh, he's from New York. He's got, and he's from media. He'll, we'll have him handle all the media contacts. So I'm flying around now with Stephen Covey and I've just fell into that spot in, in a matter of weeks. It's, it's hilarious um, story, scared them out of me. But yeah, so that's, that's how it started, 1991. That was 30 years ago. Oh, right? wow. So that was a very, that was a very quick, that was a very quick story. I'm trying to think what podcast I might've told that story on. It was the awesome job one. I had to be awesome oh. at your job. Yeah, and I was like, okay, oh, I love okay, this. Yeah, I yeah, I like hustle. That was fun. yeah. Chris, if you don't mind, can you tell our audience who may not have heard of you, which is surprising, um, about a quick overview of the four disciplines of execution? Basically, yeah, yeah. So, so as you kind of got from the pre previous story, I, I I started working for the guy that wrote the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and his company, Franklin Covey, does a bunch of things. And about twenty years ago. Um, me and a couple of other people got really focused on this one problem uh, around executing strategy, right? Because all these business books, really, and really an MBA, everything is focused on strategy, but there was very little that was done on the other side, which is execution. So we've done this work for 20 years. You know, 10 years ago, the book came out after 10 years of trial and error, right? And then, and then now this, this year, of course, the second edition is coming out. And the four disciplines of execution is, is the way we look at it. It's sort of the, the four natural laws. You know, we didn't invent them. They've always been there for executing on a strategy that requires a high degree of human engagement or buy-in. Like if it's something that, you know, you can just think your way out of, or you can just write, you know, write a check or, 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 or make some moves and get it. That's great. But if, if it requires a high degree of human buy-in, so these four rules come into play. And that's sort of the, the background for the four disciplines of execution. It's actually interesting because you're right. So many books focus on strategy and how to write the perfect strategy and very little actually talk about how to bring that strategy to life. And when I was listening to that other podcast, actually, you gave a really interesting definition of execution. So could you share with us how, how you define execution? I'm trying to think of what I said. I answered that. <laughs> I answered that a lot of different ways. I, I think. Okay, I know. I think I know. I think I know where you're going. 
When we use the term execution, we don't refer to just sort of doing everything you need to do to maintain the operation. And, and some people do. Some people, that's what the word execution means to them. And, and what we're saying is, okay, in addition to everything you got to do to maintain the operation, right? There's probably some result that you really want. There's probably some breakthrough. There's the next thing. And your ability to achieve the breakthrough, like I was just saying a second ago, maybe that thing that requires a change in behavior or right, um, a, a high degree of engagement. How do you do that while you know 80% of your life is still maintaining the existing operation? And it's the conflict between those two things that's so hard for so many leaders. How, how do I execute? Like everybody's busy, okay? Weeks are going by, everyone looks busy and we're not getting any closer on this critical objective that everything hangs on and everybody's saying, yes, this is critical and it's key to our future, but weeks are going by and we're not getting traction. And it's sort of like that, that nightmare scenario is lived by so many leaders that, that that was sort of the problem we've always been working on. Which seems, by the way, this year, after what happened last year, <laughs> this year, right? We're real popular this year because <laughs> just about everybody has to pivot you know, or make some kind of strategic move right now. Yeah. Chris, you worked with um, thousands of business owners over the years, like was it 20, 30 years. What, what's the biggest mistake you see business owners make? Like the same mistake over and over again. And I'm, I'm, like, I, think, I think I know what it is, but I'm just kidding. Yeah, I think you know what, I think you know what it is. And it's, um, it's funny, you know, Lisa, you're talking about your ADD. Like it's people with, people with ADHD are the worst violators of this. But it, it's Nick, it's simply, it's simply overgoaling the organization. It's simply attacking too many things simultaneously. And, you know, creative, ambitious people rise up in organizations. And those are the very same people that love to do a lot. And, and that conundrum kind of creates the whole problem. Yeah. And I one more question. Okay. Uh, on the topic. Do you find a lot of um, founders or business leaders also are bottlenecks? So they, they basically want to take too much on, but actually don't get anything done because they're just trying to take care of everything on themselves and they probably don't delegate well enough. Yeah, and, and it's, um, and in my experience, um, you may have your own take on this. In my experience, it's not because they don't want to delegate. Yeah. Like they want to delegate, um, but there's, there's just some mechanics to doing it and knowing how to do it and and then it's also, it's exacerbated by the fact that there's, there are so many things that they can see and, and, and worse, there's so many things that they know what to do. Like, like they can see seven things and they can tell you how to achieve all seven things. And it's, they're leaving money on the table and it's driving them nuts. It's like, we knew how to do this last year. We're still, this is still killing us right now. Like they can't, right, they, they can't, and if you really want to delegate, you know, focus sort of precedes that. And it takes time, it takes energy to get people on board and to, to put a system in place where you can pull people into the process. So yeah, the, the, two, the two things really feed on each other. Yeah, look, Nick's actually um, the king of delegation, so he's going <laughs> Oh, right on, good. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of delegating. Literally, his job <laughs> is delegating. That's, That's awesome. That's, yeah, were you is. always good at that? Or did was this sort of a developed capacity over even time? In high school, I would, I would have people help with my homework. I was always good at delegating, even in school. So <laughs> That's I've, a I've always been that kid and always that guy. But hey, that it's a good life. 
I, I know that I'm not the smartest person in the room. So I said, look, I'm going to hire the best person here, the best person here. Please help me win. That's all it really is. Well, and that, yeah, that mindset around, around sort of recognizing that you're not and, 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 and that you're, and you're willing to let others play and participate and lead you. Um, yeah, that, that really pays dividends. Yeah, not for the people around him, but yeah, that's good. <laughs> no, no, it's not too, not too bad. Uh, now, I, I want to talk about the whirlwind because I pretty much live in the whirlwind. So, so I know that you describe the whirlwind as like your day job. So the things that you need to get done just to keep the business going. And I think a lot of us really struggle with getting out of that whirlwind because you're like, I need to get all these things done. Here's my to-do list. I've got things like, you know, 20 things on the list that I need to do today. And so I can see why it's really easy to get stuck in that on that treadmill and not execute those big things that you need to to move the company forward. And I guess this is really going to lead nicely into running through the four disciplines with you. Sure. But, uh, you know, is this really like a common mistake that you, you saw and this is why you developed the four, the four disciplines? Yeah, it's the single most universal problem associated with execution and what's funny is we were at this thing for three years before we put our finger on this like this thing was hiding in plain sight and it's this um sometimes we, we call it the whirlwind sometimes we call it the urgency trap and so if you just think about this idea that what determines how a person acts and what a person does is normally not what's most important it's normally what's most urgent that's what really drives what we do. And so, you know, there is this natural human tendency for all of us to move to something urgent, even at the expense of something far more important. If you've ever been working on a project and you know, this is the project, like this is the thing I got to get done this year. And there's a part of your brain that is just pulling you to, to, to leave it and to go put out some fires. And, and you think you're losing your mind, right? So everybody sort of gets that urgency addiction idea but then when you put that in the context of strategic execution if you're a leader what you realize is oh it doesn't matter if i convince them like it doesn't matter if they're on board it doesn't matter if they love the idea or if they say yes boss absolutely critical key to our future like it doesn't matter it's still the day job that's going to dominate and so what mechanisms and this is really where the four disciplines come in how do i create a mechanism that gets energy against non-urgent activities. Because in the moment, doing the urgent thing, scratching that, that feels good. But at the end of the week, when you've just been doing urgent all week long and you're no closer to your goals than you were at the beginning, then it stinks, right? Then you really wished that you had. So that, that's, a, that's a good lease. I think that's a good lead in into the disciplines that, that all right, I'm busy all day long and I'm not getting any closer. That's the, that's the thing maybe. But when you balance it out, so you wouldn't say I do urgent tasks, we'll say nine to one and then from two to six, I'll do the important task. Is that an option or? Yeah, and, and if you've got the discipline to do that, sometimes that's the mechanism that will work. Um, we found that, there, that, that it's a little bit challenging, and this is uh, the disciplines will get into this. I like the question a lot, Nick. We found that not only is there an urgency issue, but sometimes the strategic priority 
is also really ambiguous. Like, I don't exactly know what to do, right? right? Like I know there's this big challenge, there's this big goal and I should be working on it right now. And I gotta do that, right? right? But there's a hundred possibilities and I, my brain's spinning in all these different directions and I'll just go put, I'll just go respond to that email. I'll just go do, right? And then our break. So it's the urgency, right? Addiction. And then the, the resistance to ambiguous things. And so the disciplines sort of get at both those, those issues. How do, you make, how do you make the non-urgent thing like instantly actionable and also get done in the face of all those competing priorities? Isn't it, um, isn't it human nature to do tasks that you want to do? So for example, I know I've, I've been putting off a task for about a week and it's going to take me 20 minutes to do it. But I'm like, ah, just do it, I'll do it tomorrow. So isn't it like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do the tasks that I want to do and I put off the ones I don't. So is there a, is there a, it's just a mindset that you just go, I'm going to work through the, 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 the crap tasks first and then I'll do the things I want to do later. How would you really got my brain spinning on that? <laughs> Let me tell you, Nick, you say that and I can think of three. Wow. And I hope they don't watch this podcast because I bet they do. <laughs> Sorry. We can, we I can, can think of three. I can think of three individuals that have worked for me over the years, I should have been working for them. These are some of the smartest people I have ever met, but they all shared a common curse. They couldn't work on things they didn't like to do. Oh. And they would, their propensity to gravitate to what they wanted to do was so high. This has been one of the things I've tried to tell my kids and my son-in-laws right now that like, you there are going to be some things you've got to you have got to have the personal discipline to be able to do not only the work you love but you have got to be able to do the work that you don't love and by the way nick when you talk about things you want to do all four disciplines when we get into it i'm going to tell you why you won't want to do them each one of them each discipline has a poison pill each discipline has a reason you are not going to like it and what we try and do is when we tell you the discipline, like that won't be your initial reaction though. Your initial reaction is you'll like it. It's when you go to do it that you're like, yeah, I don't like this. And what we, what we want to do is sort of inoculate you, right? So that you go, oh yeah, <laughs> he said I would feel nausea right about now. I got I to gotta push through this thing right now. So, so yeah, so, so every, like, here's another way to say it. And then we'll, then, we'll get, then we'll get to work. But another way to say it is this. Effective people address the urgent. They take care of the urgent. Really successful people have the ability to put energy towards the non-urgent. It really separates the superstars. I mean, I got to look, just what you said, Nick, what you said about delegation, that is delegation is, is rarely ever urgent. The, 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 it's, it's important activities, but it, it fits in exactly this little box that I'm talking about because the quickest answer is always to do it yourself. But you've, over the years, you have trained yourself that that investment of non-urgent time into getting that person you know, up to speed and clear on objectives and successful and working, like you've learned that that non-urgent investment of time pays dividends. And, and, and I gotta believe if you look back over your career, you'll recognize that, yeah, a lot of your success it came from those investments in the stuff you had to act on. It wasn't acting on you. And bowl across. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Completely agree. Yeah. Cool. I, okay, so let's. Um, so this is actually Nick's private. Uh, session on the four disciplines so it worked out really well for him giving yeah, I, dig this. <laughs> I like the I like the back and forth too it, it brings the stuff to life in a, in a, in a better way <laughs> well actually so I'm going to get you to launch into the four disciplines and yeah. run us through them at a high level but before we jump into that I just want to know what are you drinking because I love that you're sitting at are you sitting at home yeah 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 <laughs> got like a drink with it's- a it's focus. I got I got a limited focus. It's it's just it's diet coke. It's just but it's from uh, do you have Panda Express in Australia? I <laughs> I it. No, it's like it's like really good fast Chinese. Yeah, it's in a, it's in Asia. It's in Hong Kong. So, oh, is that yeah yeah? It's I got the I got the the shrimp and the and the orange chicken. It's just, it's like candy. I just I, yeah. <laughs> I spoil, I once that. a week, I spoil myself. Today was, I was, you know, it was a Monday. I'm like, I, I need this. I need it. Right uh, our, ne- our next session will have to be over Chinese food then. Yeah, right on. Right on. <laughs> okay. So firstly, we're going to talk about discipline one and we're going to talk about wigs. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess firstly, we need to know what a wig is because I remember yeah, when you were talking about I was yeah. like, what's a it's, wig? What's this wig? It's thing? really related. It's just a way to... It, it's really related to what you were talking about before with the whirlwind. So if I think about all the stuff I got to do every day just to maintain the operation, there's a lot going on in there. <laughs> Is there something going on in there that the only way it's going to happen is if it gets a special treatment? Or maybe, maybe it's not right now part of the day job. Maybe it's something new. So it's either, it's either outside in, something brand new, or it's something in the day job that just hasn't been working for me. And my current level of whatever just isn't getting it done. And we, we do use this in a lot of different industries. But in healthcare, they always refer to defining a wig as taking an issue to intensive care. Like there's a whole hospital, a lot of stuff going on. But there's only one intensive care unit. And, and you go to an intensive care unit, they're going to give you the treatment. Like you're a lot of tubes in you. They're going to be, they're on you, right? So when you, when you identify a wig, you're saying, okay, this is heavy medicine. We're going to kill this thing. Okay. And so it starts by, it starts by selecting. And I won't, organizationally, that's a lot of the new book really gets into the the sort of the algebra of how you do that across various levels and functions and things like that. But we'll just keep it simple for now. We'll just say personally, if I've got a wig, right? The first thing I, I got to do is I got to know what that is. And it's not your ultimate objective. It's not the big, despite the word wildly important goal or wig, if your overall objective was, let's say Nick for your business was EBITDA profitability or, or Lisa, you know, total number viewership, like these overarching objectives. Think of that like the title of a book. The wig is that one chapter that could make all the difference. It's that one, oh, if we could just do this. Like, like the whirlwind needs to take care of the others. But the first discipline is called focus on the wildly important. If you choose the overarching objective, you haven't narrowed your focus. You're just calling everything one thing. But by recognizing, okay, which of these chapters 
You know, you know what it is. It's our, it's our ability to go into new markets, or it's it's this new product, or it's client retention, or it's subscription rates, or it's it's that chapter that's going to make all the difference. That's the wild, and, and the discipline is not picking everything. Like the discipline is saying, the others are going to go on life support, right? But twenty percent dedicated energy is going to go to the wildly important goal. And the last thing on this, it has to have a starting line, a finish line, and a deadline. So it's got a single, it's got to be tied to a single metric with a starting line, finish line, and a deadline. And once it becomes a target, even that, that little act alone already sort of moves you closer to being successful. All right. So that's, that's this very short explanation of discipline one. And actually, sorry, Lisa. So week is like a, it's a secondary goal. What do you class as a, what do you call it? Like a, a revenue goal, for example, like a, a BHAG. What would yeah, you- BHAG's not a bad word. Like, yeah, BHAG like, talks about something that may take multiple years, yep. maybe, right? Right. And and the um and you may you have lot you may have lots of objectives. You have lot you may have lots of objectives in the day job. You have uh, kind of like vital signs, right? That all the, you may have eight different metrics, you may have a dashboard with lots of things that you need for life support and maybe a key goal associated with your vision or overall direction. The wig and different people use different constructs. The wig is just saying, okay, um, we're going to take this one to intensive care. Like this, we're going to, we're going to blow up this strategic bottleneck. We're going to get through the wall on this. And, and what you do is you tend to aim it at those things that again, aren't going to work without a change in human behavior. Yeah, and just for people playing at home who don't know what BHAG stands for, it stands for Big Hairy Audacious Goal. Why is everything to do with hair, wigs, and bloody yeah. hairy audacious? <laughs> we originally we originally called the whirlwind the hairball, and our marketing team was like, "We're not doing that." Just all I don't know because <laughs> it's so it's just so visceral. I don't know. It's just like, ugh. <laughs> I just I, it's funny. I just went back and 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 uh, and reread uh, Built to Last uh, by by uh, by. Um, uh, uh, Col- Jim Collins, which is where that where that term originally gets its origin. It's been, been like oh, it's been over twenty years since I'd read it. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's on my uh, reading list. So I need to read up on that. Okay, so very good. Discipline one: focus on the wildly important. And actually, further to Nick's point earlier, I like that um, when you talk about discipline one, you talk about splitting the day or splitting your time between eighty percent of the whirlwind and then twenty uh, percent focus on your wig. So I think that's a really good way of doing it. So let's move into discipline two now, which is act on the lead measures. So can you just give us a little bit yeah, of a yeah. about what that so is? If the, if the principle behind discipline one is focus, the principle behind discipline two is leverage. So you've identified, like if you think of the visual, I really like this visual of thinking about a rock that you have to move in your life. And the rock is too heavy for you to physically directly push. You've tried, you failed, Right. You've got other rocks too, right? But this one, this is the one that's got to get moved right now. And you think about how a lever works. And we'll come down to something more specific, but I want to start with this little metaphor, right? If you can get a pole, right? Get a fulcrum and get a pole under that rock, you can start to move that rock. Something that previously you had not been able to move. The two characteristics of a lever in the physical world are the exact two characteristics of a lead measure. Unlike the rock, the lever is influenceable. 
I apply pressure, it moves. I can move, I can't move the rock, but I can move the lever so it's influenceable. And second, it's predictive. When the lever moves, the rock moves. So here's your classic lead measure example, weight loss. All right, someone that just cannot get weight loss to happen in their life, it's like a rock. Let's say the lead measures and they, and they can't just be an idea, they have to be an actual measurable thing around let's say diet and exercise. Same principles apply. Diet is something I can do. I can't get that scale to move, but I can do, I can, you know what I mean? I can cut my calorie input. I can, you know, run a mile a day. Like those are things that are, maybe I don't, but I can, they are influenceable. And when I do them, they are predictive of weight loss. And so that little visual in people's minds, we've spent 20 years finding the diet and exercise equivalent to every kind of goal you can think of. And it's like the universe is always friendly. It always gives you one or two. Like, and, and you don't always know what it is right away. It's like solving a puzzle, but there's, all, there's always a lever. Like I'm talking scientists at Kimberly Clark who are researching new fat fibers that don't even exist in the universe. Like eggheads with 300 IQs that are basically like, look people, you wouldn't even get what goes on in here, man. And then you just start talking to them about, all right, what's, you know, what's the goal? Well, the goal is to have one new you know, breakthrough every six months. Okay, well, back it up. What tends to happen? What are the things that are most likely predictive of a new breakthrough? And like, just keep working the problem. And sometimes they'll come up with a hypothesis of what a good lead measure is. You know, let's say we're in a manufacturing facility and we want to reduce the number of plant shutdowns. Every time the plant shuts down, oh, we got to restart everything and, and our production just goes to garbage, right? Production's the overall one. Plant shutdowns is the wildly important goal or what we call the lag measure. The wig is the lag measure, the lead measure, right? And they're thinking about it and they think, well, what if we got everybody back through training on the machinery? Well, maybe we could do that, but I don't think that would do it. I don't think it's predictive. And they say, you know, okay, what if every shift, you know, we find out you know, one potential problem per shift that has led to this. Like we start identifying root causes or, or what if we really focus on preventative maintenance or, and they like try, they like start testing stuff until they find out what's predictive. And what happens in this is that in the search for these lead measures, you pull, it's, it's, like, a, it's like a hack for delegation. You pull people into the problem. So the leader starts enrolling people by saying, look, I got four ideas of what the leads could be, but I don't know if I've got it right yet. What do you think of these four things? And so oh, I, I see what you're getting at with number three, boss, but that ain't it. Let me tell you what I think you ought to try. You ought to try this. Well, maybe we could try that, right? All right, you know, and let's get a consent. Well, you know, okay, so as a team, what do we think are the two big bets? All right, if we're gonna get new accounts, what, what do we like? We like referral we like, we like client referrals from category C. Do we think that's the one? Okay, we do. So you, you know, so much of their job, nobody gets a say in, right? But this, this lead measure thing, you're, you're trying to build a little 
you know, a little equation for creating innovation, for creating a result you couldn't get. So that's discipline too. Can we get the lead measures that will get us the lag measures? And then discipline three, I'll just do three and four because now, now that we've done that, I'll just do three and four. So yeah. three is I got to see it. It's got to go from sort of <laughs> hypothesis thinking, which is if we did that, could we get this to game on thinking? It's like a different gear in your brain. So discipline two is sort of that, hmm, I'll bet if we did this and we did that, and everybody can have that conversation. They can go back to work and forget about it. Discipline three is when you put it in the form of a game, like you're tracking it and you go game on. All right, so we're saying this week, all of us, we're gonna get five client, you know, category B referrals. And we're gonna see if that leads to at least one new appointment. All right, that's the game, right? And every week we start tracking the lead and the lag measures. And the, the notion behind discipline three is that it's um, a player scoreboard, not a coach's scoreboard. All right, so let me freeze on that for a second. I said that every one of these has a poison pill. The poison pill for discipline one is it's gonna force you to say no to some good ideas and you're gonna hate that, right? The poison pill for number two, we're so scripted to focus on lag rather than lead data. It's this, it's, it, you know, going and getting lead data is a pain in the neck. Lag data is easy to track. Lead data, like easy to step on the scales and tell how much I weigh. Lead data, oh, I gotta go get that, it's a pain. Discipline three, we're really scripted for spreadsheets, for lots of data on our scoreboards, for using scoreboards for business analysis. This ain't that, that's good, we need that. But this is, all right, are we winning or losing? Are we playing the bet? And so if disciplines one, two, and three set it up, that's like setting up the game. The fourth discipline is where whatever team owns that scoreboard says, we're going to meet every, every Tuesday. And when I'm going to get to your, I'm going to get to your time management kind of thing right here on discipline four. They say every Tuesday at 9 a.m., we're going to meet for 20 minutes. And this is what happens at that meeting. Every person in that meeting, right? reports on, did I do the thing I said I was going to do last week? What's happening with the scoreboard? And then what's my commitment for next week? So if the leads were diet and exercise, I got to come up with a commitment this week to make sure I actually do the diet and exercise. Like people get confused about this because they're like, well, I thought the lead measure was the thing you do. Well, it is, but the commitment you make in discipline four to the team it's something I'm going to do. Like, it's going to rain next week. And I hate running in the rain. And one of my lead measures is I'm going to run a mile every week. So, okay, I'm going to sign up for the gym membership, right? So I can get out of the rain. Or I'm going to go to Whole Foods on Tuesday. I'm going to get those ingredients for that recipe that so-and-so gave me, which has really helped me cut my calories. Like, what am I going to do this week? Okay, Marty is new on first shift. I've got to get him trained to be able to do this. And it's dynamic. So every week, things are changing that are gonna get in the way of those lead measures getting done. What do we do? That's force against leverage is discipline four. So what you're doing is you're, you're creating this little winnable game, high stakes winnable game around the critical strategic bottleneck for getting to the big result. That's, that's the whole thing. That's all it is. Um, but the cool part about the thing 
was it didn't just create results everywhere it was applied. It also raised engagement everywhere it was applied. And, and this was our happy accent. We had no idea what a big deal it was to people when they feel like they're winning at something. And not just that the organization is winning, but they're part of, of a team that is actually winning and they can see it despite all the non-controllables. Like there's like one piece of sanity in their lives where they're winning. And so this, this process, so this, so this thing I'm telling you about right now, this has been like 20 years just figuring out just this one problem. Like how do you break a strategic bottleneck when it requires a high degree of engagement? That's our, that's our, that's our story. Right. So you said the increase in engagement, but also staff retention. Because if staff feel like they're winning, they're going to stay with the winning team. Is that right? Yeah, it really is. Now, retention and engagement are very interesting partners. Retention is one of the benefits of engagement. But you can do a lot of things to improve retention that don't really touch engagement. And if you look at, if you look at Gallup's stuff, like they use the term engagement, but they, what they really do is they give you great formulas for retention. You know, you, you look at the, at the Q12, it, you know, do I like my boss? Do I have a best friend at work? You know, do I like my benefits package? Do I, do I like my income? Like those are all reasons people will quit you. Uh, but I got a great, I got a great reference for you. Um, Frederick Hertzberg is the person's name. And he in the 1960s, this dude did some really important research that's just now being brought back up. And Hertzberg said, look, retention and engagement, they're both important, but the factors that influence them are unique. There's about a dozen things that'll drive retention. There's only two things that fundamentally drive engagement. And it was this, we, we fell in love with this data because it validated what we had seen by accident. The two things that drive engagement, am I winning? Or he sometimes says, am I making progress? And does it matter? So everything else could be crap. You could hate your boss, hate your pay. But, but if you're winning at something that matters, you watch engagement will spike. And you can do this at a room full of 500 people. You have 500 people, at least I think we did this that day. Like we had everybody go to a time in their career when they were most lit up, most engaged at work. And then we said, and everybody had, everybody get it? Yeah, share it with the person next to you. Okay, all right, everybody's got one, everybody's got one. You may or may not have been making good money at that time. And they were like, yeah, I, was, I wasn't making good money. Like there's no correlation to money, pay. We spend so much time worried about pay. There's no correlation to pay. We, we spend all this time, people don't quit a job, they quit a boss. Yes, they do, but we're not talking about quitting right now. We're talking about engagement. And like, half of you didn't like your boss. And they were like, yeah, I didn't even like my boss. But, but it's this idea that, and, and here, so here's why I really like this idea, um, Nick and Lisa, is that you can step away from the disciplines. And even if you don't get into the disciplines, if a leader just thinks, I got to give these people one winnable game. Like there's so much going on in the environment we don't control. I don't know if this is going to be a good year or not. You know, we just got three new competitors. We're, we're taking our hits. But in the midst of everything that's going on, let's pick something and let's win big at something. And like leaders who do that naturally, like a lot of leaders will just do that intuitively. 
because they want, that's the energy that will fuel engagement. And the disciplines just seem to be a way of doing that when it wasn't even our intention. Like that wasn't the reason we did it. It was this really cool byproduct. Yeah, actually, I do want to talk a little bit about team and leadership because I know that, I don't know if it's like a millennial thing or even like a Gen oh, Z yeah. thing. yeah. But yeah, I feel like, you know, I'm old now. So I don't even know if I fall. I think I'm just a millennial, but like my generation really stuck at work just because that, like, you know, even if they weren't happy, but I feel like the next generation coming through, they instantly want to come into a workplace and make an impact. And they want to feel like they're doing something important and they, they're not having that patience, I guess, not necessarily to bide their time and, and, you know, earn their way up, but how do you keep them engaged? I like how you're saying this. Yeah. And I feel like, like they're doing this. Yep. I, um, so here's, I'm going to give you an oversimplification. All right. If you break employee behavior into three camps, defiance, I'm just going to be a pain in the neck. I'm going to fight you on everything you do. I'm going to do a lousy job. The sooner you fire me, the better off you'll be. Compliance. I'll take care of the day job. I'll do whatever you ask, but I'm not going to do anything more. And commitment. Like I'm into it. Like commitment, compliance, and defiance. That's a pretty good spectrum right there. All right. Now, if you drop the millennials in and contrast them versus Oh, I don't know what I am. I'm not a boomer. I'm the next thing, Gen Z or something. Man without a country. <laughs> if you compare it to my generation, um, a lot of people in my generation would play the compliance game pretty good. They, they knew how to keep their mouth shut. They'd stay yeah. out of trouble. They'd get along, right? And then the, the boomers would, would do compliance till the, till the day they died. Like they'd play that game. But, you know, the millennials get a bad rap because they're not going to play compliant. They're, gonna, they're either going to be a holy pain in the butt or they're going to be running your operation for you. And like, I, I, oversimplification, granted, total oversimplification. But the way we looked at the millennial equation through the disciplines was, all right, if the purpose of the disciplines is to get people engaged in solving a meaningful problem, what don't you like about these people? Like, um, you know, the, the, you'll probably have more trouble with the day job, the 80% they got to do just to get a paycheck, right? But, the, but the, what we found is, is that people tend to be, will handle that stuff better if they have something that's more rewarding that they're winning at. And we've, I'll tell you, we've seen the reverse of this. Um, we've done, we've done um, four disciplines in parts of the world where command and control was baked into the culture. So parts of Eastern Europe that opened up, um, uh, developing countries where you know, leadership had been, had been very old school. And you come in with this methodology and wow, did we have to implement it differently. And we had to just really tiny wigs and, and lead measures. They, they would just tell you whatever they, they were, they were just sitting there trying to guess what you wanted them to say. Like they wouldn't, right? And, and it was just, it, it, they, they didn't even believe you. Like it was just so hard to get that buy-in. So, so I, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm talking all over the place, but, but yeah, that, I think what you're touching on with the millennials, Lisa, um, 
this is an interesting way to look at this exec these execution principles because yeah if, if the game is to get them engaged that's not an arc that's not where the millennials are going to fight you i don't think i mean it's a generalization but chris yeah. this ties into my last question what would you tell your 20 year old self <laughs> you know i think i had one of those today oh really i think yeah, matter of fact, about 20 minutes before I got on the call, I think I had one of the, but the way I always play it is, is it's, it's, I'm, I start to package it for stuff I'm gonna tell my kids. And I see if I can say it, cause it's fresh. But it's the idea that spending a lot of energy on things that don't work still seems to pay these beautiful dividends. I'll, you know, I've got this, one of my, one of my sons, if he can't see the finish line, he won't engage. Like if it's not a lock, he's not in it. And I really worry this is going to stunt his development. You know, I could have used some more that I was on the other end of the continuum. I, I chase anything. Right. But what I've learned is that, you know, I, I spend all this time writing an article for this publication and we put it out, we don't get it, we don't get a thing. You know, and then we get leads coming from somewhere we didn't have anything to do with, right? Or we, we, we create this product and nobody buys it. And like, my career is cluttered with projects and things that produced no results at all, right? Just scrap heap of, of just wasted time. Um, except for the fact that I don't think it was wasted because in the middle of that project that didn't produce anything, you figured something out and it applied to that thing that did work and it gave you an idea and you tried something else. And it's really, we hate to invest energy on, on losses. But one of the things I would tell my 20 year old self is just lower your blood pressure when it comes to losing, like you're gonna see, like this all works out, man. Just, just, just do everything with excellence, even if even if you're not sure it's gonna work. And somehow, like the universe will reward you for that. A beautiful note to end on. I feel like I want to keep talking to you. Sorry, but I'm, I'm not. Yeah, it's so, so nice. I, I know. know. That's what I talked to you for an hour and a half after eight hours of presenting, Lisa. So I know the feeling. <laughs> Uh, but thank you so much, Chris. That was incredible. And I'm really glad that Nick got to, to you. hear you explain firsthand the four disciplines. So I know that I definitely took a lot of way from it and everyone else in the room, no doubt did as well. And I just want to say, uh, like, I'm very fortunate to have seen you in person, but, uh, you know, your energy is incredible, even just via a Zoom. So, uh, and I know that you're running webinars and things like that at the moment. So do you want to just uh, quickly run through all the things that you're working on and tell oh, us yeah. a, a little bit about the second edition of the book? Cause I'm really excited for that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and the, you know, we're not traveling anymore. That's the bad. I mean, the good news is though, that we're now doing webinars for companies and places like everywhere, right? It's just as easy. So, so we've actually got a promotion going right now that, um, uh, Franklin Covey, who offers me up, uh, has cut their rates from from ten thousand for a, a keynote or a virtual executive session to five thousand. If you buy a case of the new book, if you pre-order the new book, 
So we got that promotion. And you can, uh, if you're interested or you, you think you might be, uh, Chris McChesney, 4dx.com uh, is the website, uh, or you can go to the Franklin Covey website and find me there as well. That Lisa, amazing. that was really nice. Thank you so much for saying that. Oh, no worries. And um, I don't know if you remember this, but do you remember that supermodel, Linda Evangelista? And she's like, I don't get out of bed for less than 10,000 a day. That's like you, Chris. <laughs> but, oh, no. <laughs> but on this occasion, you will for 5K. So. <laughs> I won't tell you how much of my money Franklin Covey keeps. Yeah. Like we, won't, we, won't, we won't tell you that. That's so funny. I know who she is. Yeah, she's yeah, uh, yeah. She's adorable. Yeah. She said that. I don't get out of bed for less than 10,000 a day. I don't get yeah. out of bed for Nick will get out of bed for like a buck. Like he's. <laughs> That's a buck, Lisa. <laughs> That's like my last point. Like even if nobody's paying you, like something, if you work, something good will happen. It will. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chris. You really guys are great. Time. I'm honored you wanted to do this. Thank you so uh, much. Thank you. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Australia soon. Hope so. <laughs> really do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode. If you like what you hear, which we hope you do, we would love it if you subscribed and left us a rating and review. And to say thank you, Nick has got a little surprise lined up for you. Yes, I am going to bribe you. We've teamed up with our friends at Booktopia to give you 10% off our favorite business books. The discount carry can be found in the show notes. And if you ask extra nicely, I'm sure Nick will gladly fund the extra 90% off so you can get the book for free. Whatever it takes. (laughs) And if you're not sick of us yet, you can find all the links to our social channels in the show notes and look forward to seeing you for the next episode.